Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and we join you every week to bring you topics and trends on the subject of wine, which we absolutely love to talk about all the time. How are you doing, Mark? Good, Kim. What a great day to talk wine, it's right? It's always a great day to talk about wine. Yeah, so what is today's first topic of conversation? So today we want to talk a little bit about Chardonnay. Still a lot of people's favorite wine variety, and there have been some new trends in the market concerning Chardonnay, and uh, and so we want to talk about some of the changes and things that are going on with this very, very popular grape variety. Chardonnay is one of those grapes and varietals we talk about all the time that you can never really figure out or see where it's going style wise mm -hmm. years ago they'd always say abc anything but chardonnay and the and the trend was white chardonnays were very popular now i see dropping off a little bit and it may have to do with how the styles are so different do you do you see that at all kim i do and it's very interesting when you talk to people about do you like chardonnay do you not like chardonnay because this is a grape variety that is very much a chameleon in the hands of the winemaker. So it's very it's very dependent on the style that the winemaker wants to make and the decisions that she or he makes and also responding to the climate that the grape is grown in. So you get a very different style of Chardonnay if it's grown in a cooler climate versus if it's grown in a warmer, hotter, sunnier climate and then how the winemaker decides to handle it. And the big thing that we see that changes the style and that a lot of people respond to is the use of an oak barrel. Yes, this article was called the state of california chardonnay it was from the grapecollective.com and one of the things they mentioned was after prohibition the style was to mimic burgundy so it was more fruit uh very lightly oaked and now that may be coming back and what i see is people who drink chardonnay drink a certain style or a certain brand all the time and we ran into this recently where we did a chardonnay event a tasting and there were people in the room who tried a different style. Um, they never liked Chardonnay. They tried a different style and they absolutely loved it. So it shows that you need to explore different styles. And when you when we say different styles, Kim, what would you say? You talked about oak. What are the styles you feel in Chardonnay? I see this very frequently. So the, the styles really run the gamut from, you could be talking about a cool climate, really traditional Chablis. So made in the north of France. And if you see the big jug of Chablis from California, that's not the Chablis that we're talking about. We're talking about traditional Chablis from the region of Chablis in northern Burgundy, which is very cool. They don't use a lot of oak. So it's made in a big stainless steel... Uh, tanks and they are light and bright and crisp and high in acidity and more appeal I find to people who traditionally drink things like Sauvignon Blanc or drink Pinot Grigio you know those really light steely crisp wines so it still has the some body of Chardonnay but not that big buttery oaky and then on that complete opposite end of the spectrum you have those big ripe California Chardonnays that have lots of tropical fruit and lots of creamy notes and it just fills up your mouth and it's rich and it's toasty so they really can be two very, very different styles. And I find that folks either like one style or they like the other style. And there aren't a lot of people who really enjoy both, which I find to be very interesting. So it's the same 
grape, the Chardonnay grape, that where it's grown, the climate where it's grown, the soil, how they're making it oak, un-oak, can make things very different. So when a person asks for a Chardonnay or is looking for a Chardonnay, you really need to think of different regions, different climates, and different styles of winemaking. So what would you recommend? Someone says they drink a Chardonnay. How would you question them of the style? So I would first ask them what kind of Chardonnay they drink or where do you tend to like your Chardonnays to be from? Brand name or just location? You could t- totally ask for brand name. So I mean, that's going to give us a little bit of information if we're trying to help you find something else that you're going to like. So if someone says, oh, I really like Kendall Jackson Chardonnay or oh, I really like bread and butter Chardonnay, that gives us clues as to what style you like because those tend to be that richer, creamier, more toasty, buttery style style of Chardonnay. Whereas if someone says, oh, I like French Chardonnay or I like unoaked Chardonnay, if they say unoaked, that's a that's a clear indication that they like those crisper styles. So really, you know, if they say California, if they say those notes of buttery, or if they give you a brand name, anything that has yeah. butter in the label butter, oaky, <laughs> is, a, is a dead giveaway that that's the style that they like. So those those can give us some clues as to what style people uh, I find it for. tough to figure out Chardonnay drinkers at times because they tend to lean towards a brand and it's hard to match sometimes a brand to another brand if it's a big production brand because it Mm -hmm. tends to be a style that's the same all the time. Someone drank something that was a smaller production Chardonnay, that might change year to year how they make it, percentage of the grape or how much oak they use every year. But I did see a slight trend when you were talking about the butternut and the the oak uh, names in the wine. There was a trend for a while where oak was becoming very popular again and now it seems people want more fruit. So unoaked, you see um, naked wines, uh, un, uh, what do they call it? Uh, tree-free. Mm-hmm. Um, tends to be more popular. People want more fresh fruit. Uh, are you seeing that trend with Chardonnay? That trend, I think, has been around for a little while. At least the last five, maybe even ten years, we started to see these producers um, make an effort to make an unoaked style and to put it on the label, especially from California producers, because the oaky style tended to be the default of a lot of California Chardonnay producers. So in order to differentiate their wines and make people understand that, hey, this isn't a big oaky Chardonnay, they did make an effort to put that on the label. And then we saw that in a lot of producers from places like Australia, New Zealand. You did see that big unoaked on the label, which um, I kind of liked that trend because it introduced people to this different style of Chardonnay. And and we still do do see that. And what I also like is producers who are making kind of the best of both worlds style of Chardonnay, where it's not big and oaky, but still has a lot of that creamy texture on it, which is really a nice kind of meat in the middle style of Chardonnay that can appeal to both sides. Yeah, that's a great way to to ask someone about a Chardonnay style too. Do you like the fruit of it? Do you like that creaminess of it? Do you like the oak of it? So there's many different ways or or types of Chardonnays you can explore. But sometimes people don't know. Sometimes people have a hard time putting words to those things that they like, which is where we come in to kind of ask the right questions and try to figure out exactly what it is that they're looking for, which which can be hard too. Yeah, and explore the differences with location. uh, And when they're talking California Chardonnay, you can get a Chardonnay that's labeled just California. 
Chardonnay, so anywhere in California, or you can get something that's a specific region that might be a cooler climate, which gives a totally different profile of something that's grown, say, in a valley or, or eastern uh, of the coast. So be aware of that. So what else uh, did you find in the article that interests you, Ken? Something that really jumped out at me um, from this article, we have um, winemakers of relatively, I would say, expensive Chardonnays uh, discussing their winemaking process and the direction that they want to go in and the style of wines that they're trying to make. And um, I've found sort of this disconnect between what these people who are making wine day in and day out and are thinking about Chardonnay on this higher level, what they're trying to make, and then what is popular in the market. And it's interesting from our perspective, you know, I kind of always see this little bit of a disconnect between what the high-end producers are trying to make and then what the market is saying it wants and what the vast majority of people are drinking. So it's just sort of interesting that there are all these producers that are trying to go back to this sort of more refined style of Chardonnay, and yet the market is still really scrambling for these big, lush, oaky, you know, slightly sweet, big and fruity Chardonnays out of California. So it's just sort of this interesting head scratcher for me. Usually the small smaller production people who make Chardonnay, they make it pretty much the same style all the time. So they tend to now look at what's trending. If you, if you, And when you say expensive, what do you think Chardonnay price point to you would be expensive? Like anything over 50 a bottle? 50? Yeah, really? say 50. What would you think? Well, as a retailer, I, I feel anything over 20 now has become the new high price point Chardonnay. Okay. So it goes, for me, it goes maybe 10 and then 15 and then 20 and then probably 25 and then 30 and above. So I, you rarely see people exploring that $50 mm-hmm. Chardonnay, but you're talking a lot less production, but they are following trends. They want to sell their products. So they see things, whereas the big companies, they automatically, once they see a trend coming, they just come out with with a new style or a new brand to to focus on mm-hmm. that. So very interesting stats. And they, they did show a few numbers in this article about 100,000 acres of, of in California planted to Chardonnay. So still high production, uh, but be aware there are many different styles. And any other advice on exploring Chardonnay? Um, I just think kind of think thinking of the climate, you know, thinking of cooler climate versus warmer climate. But it's hard for the consumer to know what is a cooler area versus a warmer area. So I would say just explore. You know, if you've found a grape variety that you are fond of and you know that you like it from a particular place, experiment, have fun. Spend 12 or $15 on that bottle that you might never have picked up before and, and give it a try and you might be pleasantly surprised. And you mentioned the, the like the Kendall Jackson brand. But if you if you only go with one brand, also be aware they also might make other levels of that brand. Mm-hmm. So explore that next price point up or two price points up and see if you do notice a a different with, with the Chardonnay. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. We are Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone exploring all things wine with you. Our next topic is tasting trends, which appeared in uh, the Sonoma News. Kim, what did you take from this article? So I was very pleasantly surprised to see that the headline in this article was all about people drinking sparkling wine for something other than celebrations, um, which is something that I regularly do because I don't think I've ever met a bottle of bubbly wine that I didn't like. So the fact that people are now trying to incorporate sparkling wines into their meals, into having them with dinner, as opposed to just with appetite 
appetizers or at a party or to do a toast at a wedding really makes me quite happy because there are a lot of really nice sparkling wines out there aside from champagne. They were saying it's just not an opening act anymore. And I always like that you have a passion for sparkling wines <laughs> and education. And people don't know that this is a lot of good value in sparkling wines and it's a great food wine. And I do see lately a lot of trends where people are finding more and more on the internet with drink recipes using sparkling. So I think you will see more trends of finding it uh, pairings with food, which as you said before, it is a great food pairing wine. The other trend they talked about was red wine is king. And I think we've seen this for years, cabs, but they mentioned red blends. And this topic is something that we see trending very big right now. So Kim, tell me what you your feeling is on trends in red blends. Yeah, this blend part of the market is still really, really popular and has been growing for the last few years. And from our perspective, it's interesting for us to try to, once we know that a, a customer or a consumer really likes red blends, because people generally aren't shy about saying, oh yeah, I really like red blends, trying to suss out what kind of blend they like, because they kind of fall into two different categories. So there are a lot of red blends out of California that are a jammier, fruitier, easy to drink style. And then there are other red blends that are a little bit more traditional and are a drier, not necessarily really fruity, still very, very tasty, but kind of a different creature. So we have to be a little bit careful, I think, in recommending and introducing red blends to people who say that they're a fan of them to make sure that we're hitting their style and not kind of turning them off to another style of red blends just because they've said that they like a blended wine. And I find it difficult. Anytime a new red blend comes out, it's almost difficult to find out what they're putting in the blend. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll say it's, uh, it's their own secret recipe, so to say. And it's hard to figure out what profile people like. If they say they like a wine, you go to research and you can't tell what grapes are in it. How do you know other than tasting it? Now, I might think it's sweet. Your profile might not think it's sweet. Right. So the trend seems to be a little bit more sweetness in the blends. But I do see it leading to people exploring more things, getting back to Bordeaux, the classic original blended wine. People might explore that style now because they do like exploring blends. So as a retailer, I put a Portuguese blends, French blends, Spanish blends, all in with the California red blends, hoping someone will kind of gravitate and explore those that way. And just so people know, a red blend just means that there are multiple different grape varieties that have been put together uh, to make up what the wine tastes like. So Cabernet is a grape variety and Merlot is a grape variety and Malbec is a grape variety. If you take those three and make wine out of them all, and then after the fermentation is complete, you put them together almost like you're following a recipe and you've got, you know, 50% Cabernet and 25% Merlot and 25% Malbec. Technically, that is a blend. So really, that's all we're talking about here is that it's not just a single grape variety in the bottle. It's got a couple different kinds in there. And the reason why a winemaker might decide to do this, really, a lot of it has to do nowadays just with the flavor. You know, they're trying to hit a certain flavor profile and, oh, the cab adds a little bit of this and the Merlot adds a little bit of this. So let's put them all together and, uh, and see what we can come up with. Be careful if you go with a a smaller producer that makes a blend, they will change that blend every year. I mean, it will taste similar, but the percentage of the grapes may change dramatically based on crop production or what they felt is tasting good that year. Whereas the bigger brand red blends, I would say they consistently taste the same year after year. So, you know, explore the smaller guys, but be careful the 
percentages will change. The next topic they talked about, which I thought was very interesting, wine drinkers 25 to 34 are turning away from Chardonnay to more aromatic whites. What did you think of this? I think this is a classic example of kids not wanting to drink what their parents were drinking. Most, I would think, 20-year-old people kind of look at, oh, mom drinks Chardonnay. I don't want to drink Chardonnay. <laughs> Let yeah. me try something else. And this is, you know, this is typical. You know, this is this is normal. And uh, I mean, we even see this with wine consumption patterns in traditional wine drinking countries like France and Italy. You know, the, the consumption of wine in France by the younger generation has really declined. And a lot of it seems to be stemming from the fact that younger people don't want to be drinking what their parents were drinking. You know, they'd rather drink cocktails, they'd rather drink beer. And and I think that we're seeing a little bit of the, that with the Chardonnay consumption pattern by the younger generation here in the U.S. I see that with if your parent drank white Zinfandel, which was a sweet wine. I think you may still drink sweet wines, but you're not going with that white Zinfandel. Right. You're going to a Moscato or a Riesling. Yeah, Moscato is Rieslings. I mean, those are all very popular right now too. But yeah, it's just, it's the same style, just a different, uh, just a different wine. And it may have to do what, when you grew up, I know my generation, it was a lot of sweets. And I think maybe now the generation coming up on, maybe their palate isn't as sweet. Oh, um, I don't know. I have two little kids. <laughs> There's certainly lots of sweets well, out there. That is, that is trending, the sweet stuff. And, and they also mentioned this for ages 55 to 64. They prefer a single varietal wine or a single grape type wine. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if there's that's a trend. Single varietal wines are probably very popular other than the next red blends. But do you see anything with this? I, I, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, I think that when the American wine market really started coming into its own in the 1970s and 1980s, that was how they were marketed. You know, wines were marketed as this is a Chardonnay, this is a Cabernet, differentiating American wines from uh, traditional old world European wines. So I think for a generation that was introduced to wine in this way that that makes sense that um, that they would continue to drink wines that are labeled that way because it's a it's the, that's their comfort zone and I think probably even for people of my generation seeing that variety name on the label is is something that there's instant recognition and so people kind of have an understanding of what the wine tastes like so we we'll, we will keep always following these trends Hope we love to follow trends in the market I'm sure you'll be excited if there's more champagne or sparkling <laughs> yes please Welcome back. This is Kim and Mark with The Wonderful World of Wine. Today, we just wanted to talk about a little article that we found in NASDAQ magazine, which was talking about finding some less expensive wines that might taste a little bit more expensive and trying to explore some other regions that might not necessarily have the price tag associated with them as some other more familiar regions. Did you have a favorite from this list, Mark? Well, first, they mentioned how to pick a cheap wine. And this is one of <laughs> I didn't I want to use the word yeah. cheap. I like to say inexpensive. <laughs> Me too. Because as a retailer, we don't sell cheap wine. We sell inexpensive wines. And everybody's version of cost is is different. So the first thing I guess I took from this was, I think, and I we talked about this before, Kim, but I always hear the thing, you like what you like. And when you hear someone say that, what, what do you think when it comes to recommending wine? I think it's true. You know, everybody is different and everyone's palate is different. And I may think that a wine is fantastic 
fantastic and you might hate it. So you do like what you like. That being said, there is still a difference between good wine and bad wine. Now there can be more complicated wines, there can be simpler wines, but I think the first thing is to figure out what it is that people like in a style and then run with that. And then we can offer wine that might be a little bit less expensive, but then fits the kind of things that they like or something that's a little more complex and a little more expensive. I had an eye opening to this statement when I thought about it. I say that a lot to people. Well, what you like, what you like, what you taste is what you taste. But maybe because that's the only thing you're trying. So my advice is just keep exploring different things because you might find something else that you like. So the article went into how to find quality wines under $15. And what would you say right now is quality wines under $15 that a consumer can find? I think you really need to look beyond California. And that has always kind of been a takeaway. It's look for those regions that are a little bit less familiar to people because generally the land isn't as expensive. Um, They might not necessarily have the marketing dollars that they're spending that'll add to the cost of that bottle. And wines that are from places that people might not think about necessarily can still be some really good values. And we, we saw this 10 years ago, 15 years ago with wines from South America, from Argentina and from Chile. We're still seeing it with wines, some wines from Spain. But like right now, places like Portugal um, are very, very reasonably priced for, you know, the quality of the reds and the whites that are coming out of that country. And then less known grape varieties. There are grape varieties that people who think about wine all the time, we're familiar with, and we can kind of bandy those words around. But there are still a lot of things that are a little bit less familiar to people. So searching out those things, I think, can make a really big difference in finding some good quality wines for not a heck of a lot of money. California, you're talking quality wines from California. You can find a lot of quantity wines Mm -hmm. in California under $15, but finding the what we feel is good quality or value, it gets more and more difficult. So that's why we taste so many different things and try to pass that on or what we think is of good value. And like you said, Portugal, I have had so many nice Portuguese red blends that use, say, traditional port grapes that are just so much more complex at that $10 level than many, many wines from California. And then when you go up a tier to, say, the $15 level, it almost tastes like a $30 California wine to Mm -hmm. me. So explore those regions. Also explore Spain. And the next thing they talked about, which you always love to talk about, is the sparkling. How to find good value in a sparkling wine. Anyone who knows me knows that I love my bubbles. And uh, really, I think what people should be looking for for quality in a sparkling wine, um, Prosecco is still super hot these days, but also Cava from Spain. You know, there are really fantastic bottles of Cava that are made the same way that Champagne is made. Different grape varieties. The flavors are a little bit different, but $15, $20, you can get a killer bottle of Cava. And then if you wanted to do something from France that wasn't necessarily from Champagne, so not from the Champagne region, but still really good quality, same type of bubble, the style of wine is called Cremant, C-R-E-M-A-N tea. If you see that on a bottle of sparkling wine, grab it because there are some really, really wonderful ones at $15, at $20 a bottle for your next party, for your next celebration, or just to drink with dinner. They're actually very, very food friendly. So those are very, very good value bottles of sparkling wine. There are many Proseccos that are priced under 
$15. And I find $10 Proseccos, there's many now, but the key for me on sparkling wine at this price point is after you're finished with it, is it a clean finish in your mouth? Because an inexpensively made sparkling wine can have, uh, tend to have an aftertaste. Do you find that? That's a very good point. I do. And that's one of the things that stands out for me when I'm tasting things like Prosecco is what is the finish? How does it not only feel in your mouth, how does it taste? But yeah, does it have that kind of clean taste at the end? And some of them leave sort of a bitter finish. I do find this with some Cava's as well. But if you can find something that's very pleasant to drink and, you know, that that lower price tier, it's it's, it's a good find. And that's key on any uh, wine at an inexpensive price point. It, it, is it clean fruit? Is it a clean finish? Um, so pay attention to that when you're paying, you know, $10 a bottle, how, how it tastes when you're finished. Uh, the other point they made on this was inexpensive white wines. What is your uh, go-to inexpensive white wines? I go to Spain, actually. There's a lot of great varieties that people are a little bit less familiar with from a number of different regions, especially that um, that little region in Spain that's right above where Portugal is. You get some wonderful everyday drinking wines and, again, not expensive, made from grapes like Verdejo, grapes like Albarino. They have a lot of personality. They have a lot of zip. They're just really yummy and um, still not super expensive. I also, I'm a sucker for whites from the Loire Valley in France. And again, not necessarily a region that a lot of people are familiar with, but they make Chenin Blanc. They make a lot of beautiful Sauvignon Blancs. And there are a whole bunch that are labeled just with the grape variety and are pretty easy to find and don't cost an arm and a leg and can be pretty close in style to their more well-known brothers like uh, like Sancerre, like Puy Fume, things like that. But there are also great wines out of like Greece, some really nice things out of South America. So, you know, I would say explore those less well-known places and see if you can find some new favorites. They did mention Loire Valley. And I think, as you mentioned, I think Chenin Blanc, for the money you pay for a Chenin Blanc, it is one of the wines you should explore. I always get this nice floral note. There are some California producers that are produced in Chenin. I know Bogle makes one that's their own vineyard and very small production. Maybe every other year they make it and you can find it for $12. So mm-hmm. really great value. The other part I just want to say with this is always be aware when you see an inexpensive bottle bottle. What are you getting? on the next? We talk about this a lot. So if it's $10, how are they keeping it $10? You, you shouldn't expect great, maybe, I don't want to say quality, but don't, you know, think about that price. Don't point. expect the world out of a $10 bottle of wine. Yeah. I mean, there are the gems and well, that's kind of our tough job we do. We taste to find these hidden gems, but just be aware of why a wine could be so inexpensive. This has been The Wonderful World of Wine with Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. We invite you to visit our Facebook page at The Wonderful World of Wine and leave us your comments and questions, and we will see you again soon. Wine, wine.